I'm really uh, a privileged fellow today to be able to share the word is always a privilege, but the topic today is something that uh, I absolutely love, and uh, it has been a, a goal of mine to live with a massive emphasis on being as word as I possibly can be. And so I'll be sharing today some of the points that I believe are important for us as a church, especially as we belong to regions beyond. And uh, we're in the series of of, uh, teaching to the congregation the values that regions beyond believe in. And... uh, Having the scriptures at the heart of all that we do is one of those values. I think we, uh, yeah, we have, we got the slide up that lists a good number of those values, and Mark adequately explained last week the significance of how values actually shape us. They form us, they they give us a, a world view. They give us a philosophy, if you like, to use a common word that, that we build our lives on. How we respond to the things that happen in life, that happen to us, that we read about. How do we respond to that? And uh, I, I'm just so privileged today to share with you that as far as regions beyond are concerned, at the heart of their forward move lies the Word of God. And uh, they shape everything. Uh, they, they, they structure everything around the values taught in the Word of God. So faithful to Scripture is the topic for today. Uh, this coming Friday, Friday the 13th, will be 500 years ago that uh, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the castle door in Wittenberg. And uh, my goodness, what, what a momentum that started. Uh, because Martin Luther uh, was a man who firmly believed in the authority of Scripture. He was privileged to have his own printed copy of the New Testament and he had read in the pages of the, the book he had in his hand that God's word supersedes man's traditions. And in his own religion, he'd come across many man-made religions that he could not reconcile with what he read in the word of God. And uh, so he determined that he would uh, go God's way, he would follow the authority of Scripture, and uh, just stand against the, the uh, traditions that were being imposed upon him and the church that he was part of. And so we, uh, I, I, it's just the way God has knitted together, I think, that we're able to speak about the scriptures today which, have reform, which has reformed our lives. It's reformed the church of Jesus Christ into what it should be. It started off based on the words of Jesus. It was, it was vibrant and alive in the hearts of the apostles. And then something went wrong and we slipped into the dark ages. And uh, thank God for someone like Martin Luther who was prepared to stick his head above the parapet and to, to take a stand for what the word of God taught. It cost him? Of course it cost him. And guess what, folks? If we do that today, you know what's going to happen? It's going to cost us. It really will cost us. But I would encourage you, I would exhort you to take God's word and, and just embed it in your heart and make it the central part of all that you are. Live not trying to take life and its circumstances and trying to, to uh, fit it You know, bring God's word down onto a level of the circumstances and try and fit it into circumstances. I encourage you, take circumstances 
and raise them and fit them into the, the context of God's word. Because then you have a true picture. Then you have something from which you can operate in, in faith. Uh, because you can then say, it is according to the word of God that I look at my circumstances, what I'm going through, and I am now raising it to measure up with what God has to say about these situations. And uh, that I, if you take that home with you today, I could say amen now, and we'd be done. But it is so important that we understand that what started 500 years ago is essential, absolutely vital for us to continue on in that today. Um, there's a, a, a motto that the, the Lutheran Church adopted as a result of Luther's stand, and uh, it's, it's, it stands for, uh, it's a Latin inscription, but it stands for the word of the Lord endures forever. It's VDMA, and uh, here goes my Latin. Verbum domini mane in eratum. The, 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 the word of the Lord stands forever. I did Latin, by the way. Uh, I lasted less than a year. Um, I, I, I just couldn't see the significance of it. But anyway, there we go. That's another story. Um, 1 Peter 1, 24 to 25 says this. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. What a truth. What a glorious truth. Irrespective of what we see decaying, collapsing, and, and what, is, what is coming to an end in, in the world scene, there's one thing that remains constant and will never ever, like the grass or a flower, fade and die. It is the living word of God. A wonderful, wonderful truth for you and I this morning to build on for the future. Luther was dealing with uh, the attacks coming against the authority of the Word of God and uh, the battles that was against him were people trying to impose fallible human ideas uh, onto the infallible Word of God and trying to change the Word of God to fit in with their philosophies. It was an authority issue. And this is what he was standing against. The, the question was, which is the authority that we will embrace? Man's authority or God's authority? And out of the Reformation came that Latin phrase that I'm sure we've heard of, sola scripture, which means scripture alone. And so Luther faced this issue. And I think that we today, as the Church of Jesus Christ, face exactly the same challenge that he faced. There is a, there's a massive move by, by, I've said this before, by people who have high visibility, by people who have privileged platforms, and from, from those positions, they are trying to impose their ideas, man's ideas, on us. And these are not stupid people. These are people that are really intellectual. These are clever people. And maybe that is, is one of the downfalls. They can't just simply as a child receive what the word says. But they're trying to impose upon our society. They're trying to uh, uh, just, just, just overwhelm the arguments of scripture with their viewpoint. And we are being labeled as being draconian. We are being labeled as being out of, out of touch with reality as they try to impose man's position on, on us who are believers. But I want to encourage you. Just this week, I sat around my kitchen table with a friend 
he and his wife were in television just a few weeks ago because they'd taken a stand for something they strongly believed in based on the word. Uh, and they've received so much persecution. Uh, the sad thing was when he said to me, Paul, even some of the church leaders in this island, on this island, have come against Sally and myself. And uh, I thought to myself, Lord, this is exactly what happened way back there, 500 years ago. Nothing has changed. Men still try to usurp the word and the truths of the word of God. I want to show you two scriptures which I find meaningful. And if we, we could just look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And I'm going to compare it to the previous chapter, some verses in chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. But let's look at 11, verse 3. This is the apostle writing, and uh, he's expressing a very grave concern that he has. It is as valid today as it was back when Paul wrote it. This is what he says. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning... Your thoughts, now take note of that word, your thoughts, the function of your mind, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure revelation of Christ. Paul is drawing our attention to what happens in the mind. And he alludes to the fact of what happened in the garden when the enemy managed to, to influence Eve and Adam's thinking to a degree that created massive loss for them and for all of mankind. Now look at chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. It's talking about the weapons of our warfare. And he talks about those weapons destroying strongholds. Now listen. He says, we destroy those strongholds. What are these strongholds? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. See, those are all things that are born in the mind. That's where they are created. Opinions, thoughts, arguments are created in the mind. And so... If you, if you want to look at the, the first verse we looked at, it says, the enemy deceives you by using your mind, by using your thoughts. And when those thoughts are, are drawn away from the pure and sincere truth, revelation of the word of God, they become strongholds. They become things that rule you. Things that shape you and that take you away from the centrality of the truth of God's word. And he says, these things, these arguments, these lofty opinions raise themselves against the knowledge or the truth of God. Or I could, with, with license and accuracy, say the word of God. These things take you away from the truth of God and we need to take captive every, there's the word again, thought, and obey Christ. Thinking of Adam and Eve, what tactic did the enemy use against Eve? Do you remember the question he asked her? Did God really say? What is he doing? He's creating doubt in her, in her stance, in her thinking. He's, he's, he's causing Eve to think God is trying to keep something good from me. So in, in, in wanting to create this doubt in Eve's mind, once that took a root, her eyes looked at the fruit, the forbidden fruit. And she saw that it was so good to eat. Folks, we're not dealing with new strategy here. 
We're dealing, dealing with strategy that the enemy introduced way back in the garden. And he hasn't had to change one bit of that strategy. It's as prevalent today as it was back then. That's why the Apostle Paul could say to people who were, who were at least two or more thousand years beyond that event, four thousand years beyond that event, and say to them, I am concerned that just like the enemy deceived Eve, your minds, your thoughts will be taken away from the truth, will be taken away from what God has established. What God has breathed. And it will form strongholds, arguments, lofty opinions that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And the minute he introduced doubt into Eve's mind, he successfully attacked the authority of God's word in her life. Doubt took a root and it resulted in unbelief. She acted and so did Adam in unbelief and the consequences were disastrous. That attack in the garden is still going on today. I want to read to you regions beyond statement on the value of scripture and this is what it says. We have a choice every single day. Do we seek to be faithful to beliefs and lifestyle of the culture around us? Or do we seek to be faithful to scripture? Do we look to the culture for truth? Or do we look to scripture for truth? It then goes on to say there are a number of convictions, and we're going to be looking at those, that lead us to believe that the only way we are going to fulfill our calling as regions beyond is through faithfulness to Scripture. That is a powerful statement. And I pray that it will embed itself in our thinking and in our hearts. The only way that we're going to see God's kingdom extended and taking root in societies and cultures where it is so desperately needed, the only way we're going to do that is by being faithful to the Word of God. One, you know, well, let me, let, let's start with the first one, the first conviction, and that is uh, what I've already alluded to, is the authority of the Scripture. Uh, yes, it was written over uh, probably around about 2,000 years by, by many different authors. Some say 37, some say 39. It doesn't really matter. There were a good number of authors who wrote the scriptures. But ultimately, we take note of this, this one thing that God is the ultimate author of the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16, you know the scripture, but let's read it again. It says, all scripture, and I've circled that word all in my Bible with a big red pen. All scripture, not selective portions of scripture. All scripture is God-breathed. You cannot make a sound without breath coming out of your lungs. And so God breathed his word. He spoke his word. I'd love to go down some rabbit trails here, but we don't have the time. Uh, God spoke his word. He breathed his word. All scripture is from God. And then he lists, lists a number of things where the word of God is profitable and, and we, we, we need that as our manual for life. And he ends by saying that the child of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Thank God for training. Thank God for Bible schools. Thank God for teachers. Thank God for all of those things. But if they do not base themselves on the truth of God's word, 
something is sadly lacking. It's only when we receive it in that unadulterated form of being the, the pure, as it was referred to earlier on, the pure word of God, that we begin to see growth and change and spiritual stature increasing. Only if it is on the word of God. Jesus and his word are one. And I'm not saying that, to be very simple, this is Jesus. I'm not saying that. This is but a leather cover containing rice paper with print on it. And as such, it is only a book. But here's the difference. Contained in this book, because it is God-breathed, is the very life of God itself. It comes off the page. And it impacts you in your spirit. It affects your mind and changes your mind. So that what you were and how you lived no longer is your aim. You change and you become what this declares. It is the life of God. Are you hearing me? The life of God in His Word. That is why you can read something for all your life and then suddenly one day you look down and you read it and, Hey, I never saw that before. And it jumps off the page. It does, it does more than impact the eyes and influence your thinking. It changes something in your spirit. It's called the rhema word of God. This as it stands is the logos. But when the spirit of God takes what's in here and makes it life to you, it becomes the living word of God to your heart. Just as Jesus, as the living word of God, was 100% divine as well as 100% human, so this word, the written word of God, stands with a foot in both camps as well. It is so, so alive with the life of God. Listen to what John 1, 1 says about it. In the beginning, before all time, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God Himself. This one was in the beginning with God. And then as you read on in verse 14, it will tell you this, the Word became flesh. Jesus and His Word are one. Jesus is is. And the life of God in the Word are one. That is why when you are born again, something has happened, so dramatic has happened in your, in your heart, in your spirit. That the old nature goes. That doesn't mean you still, you know, that you just sit back. You still have to work on your mind. You still have to renew it. And the enemy can still influence your mind. You're hearing me, church. Listen to the instruction of Scripture. Renew your minds. Mark talked about it last week. The world has the tendency to shape us and squeeze us into a mold. And it's such a loud, powerful voice. And it comes at you from your telly, your newspaper, your books, your mates, the society, the, the, your workplace. It comes at you from all angles. And it will squeeze you into a certain shape. But if you renew your mind in no other way but by the word of God, you'll overcome those attacks. You've still got to offer your body. As a, I hear people say, no, no, I'm a, new, I'm a new creation, so I don't need to worry about the enemy. You do. Your mind is not born again. Your body is not born again. Your spirit is born again. Your spirit is as much like Jesus as it will ever be. You hearing me, church? It's the life of God in you. 
So we've got to renew our minds and we've got to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And we've got to take our wills and yield them to God and, and, and move towards seeing the fruit of the Spirit working in our lives. Forgive me if I get excited about this stuff, but it's so important. I, I listen to Christian speech. I, I watch people. I hear what comes out of their minds. And it is not the new nature. I know they're born again. I know their spirits are alive in Christ. But they're not renewing their minds. They're not looking at their wills. They're not taking care of, of what they display in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. I just went down a rabbit trail there. If you look at the book of John, <clears throat> you will find that, well, I found at least seven places where because Jesus and his word are one, he uses the expression, my word. He who hears my word. He who abides in my word. He, he, he berates the religious rulers and he said, you, you, you've rejected my word. You're not able to even listen to my word. Seven times I find that. And in the book of Revelation again, Jesus says, you have kept my word. Jesus and his word are one. Just like you and your word is one. You're only as good as your word. You cannot separate your word from yourself. You cannot say what you like and then pretend you're something else. You and your word are one. Well, God and his word is one. So when we read his word, we have an understanding that God is communicating with us. God himself is speaking to us. And the word carries the same characteristics as God himself has. We cannot test the truth, the accuracy, and the genuineness of Scripture by appealing to some other authority. You cannot do it, church. Do you know why? Because God's word is already the highest authority in this universe. You cannot appeal to your own way of thinking as the highest authority. You cannot rely on a group of people who form a committee and and come forth with some truth. You cannot rely on them to, to be the measuring stick, the yardstick. You cannot even rely on government. You cannot even rely on some elite grouping of people. And there are situations like this today where they claim to be the supreme authority. Some of these groupings we don't even know about, but they're there. People who have come out of them have pointed the finger and said these people gather together to try and influence the course of this world. There's only one authority, God's Word. And even if the cleverest of people try and give a philosophy by, by, by which we should live, we, we reject it if it doesn't line up with God's word. Have I made my point? To know the Bible is to know God's will. I'm trying to check myself here so that I don't get pulled off in another direction again. But I've heard, I've heard people uh, say, oh, I believe, I believe that uh, it's all right with God. I've prayed about it and, and he's given me the green light to go down this way. Uh, folks, 
that way was not found in here. And therefore, you can say with certainty to those who claim that, your way is not God's way. I conducted a funeral recently. Uh, People don't know the Lord. And uh, they they asked for a song which is probably one of the strongest humanistic songs ever to be played while the coffin was committed to, to the grave. And it was Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. I loved that song. And then I began to discover the ways of God and he became, Jesus became my Lord and Savior and I realized that I couldn't, I couldn't claim that song. It's not my way. It's his way. The second value for regions beyond is the sufficiency of Scripture. And Paul writes... In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we've read this scripture. He said, all scripture is breathed out by God. And now look at these words. It is profitable for. It is sufficient for. And then he lists a number of things there. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Oh, wow, what important, how important is that? that the man or the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Do you want to be like that? Do you want to be viewed as being complete and equipped for every good work? Of course you do. If you're serious with God, you would want that. Well, Paul is telling us here that God's word will do us good. It is profitable for us. I'm going to make a statement. So listen up. We have all that we need to live for God in the Scriptures. There are other things that can be like sort of, you know, a bit of dessert and that. I don't mean literal dessert, but it can enhance things but if even without those things if all we had was god's word it's enough for you and i to become a man and a woman complete in god and ready for every good work the daily mail is not going to give it to you a stretch or night after night of feeding off the screen in the corner of your room is not going to give it to you I challenge you, tot up the time spent in these secular avenues and tot up the time spent in the Word of God and it will probably tell you why you struggle in so many areas. Do you still love me? The sufficiency of Scripture. A third characteristic that regions beyond go by is the necessity of the scripture. God has revealed himself in his word and he's also revealed himself in this world to us. And again the Apostle Paul tells us that we can know God exists by discerning his eternal power and his divine nature. It says there in that scripture on, your screen, on the screen that it can be clearly perceived. His, his power and his eternal, his divine nature. I mean, you can look at the starry heavens. You can look at a fantastic sunset. You can listen to thunder and watch lightning that will break a building apart. And realize that it is all in God's hand. That he is the the one who is over all. Lightning never catches God by surprise. He knows exactly how it works and why it worked. And that word 
clearly perceived there. In the Hebrew means, you've got to go from the Greek back to the Hebrew. The Septuagint was a Greek writing taken from the Hebrew. But it means to perceive with the mind. And if you've got a good concordance, you'll find it there. It can be perceived. This, this God we're talking about can be perceived with a mind even if you are not born again. If some savage in an African jungle goes and steals his neighbor's ox or kills someone from the next village, he knows he's done the wrong thing. And in days gone by, it would result in tribal warfare. It still does today. But how does he know he's done wrong? It's that something that God has put into the human heart. It's conscience. And the human heart knows when it has stepped out of line. It need not be measuring it against God's word, but it knows it has stepped out of line. And as I said, when you observe the wonders of nature, you realize there's got to be more to it than just what I'm observing. There is intelligent, there is, there is divine design behind it all. Every intricate and every precise function of nature and in the universe remains in perfect order because of God. Planets are not colliding with one another. Planets are staying in their orbits. The sun is not rushing down on us and scorching us into a frazzle. All of these things are kept in their place because of God. And Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 puts it simply. It tells us. It says, the word of God's power upholds the entire universe. You see, Neptune was not the first one to say to the ocean thus far and no further. God set parameters in place and he makes sure it stays like that by his word. And when it comes to salvation, God has revealed himself in his word, just as he has in the world. We can only find the roadmap of salvation in the scriptures. You can be softened towards God by a sunset, by whatever. But the roadmap of salvation can only be found in the scriptures. The Bible reveals the saving work of Jesus Christ. And to be able to offer salvation to the world, we need to be able to offer them the word of God. In John chapter 5 verse 39, Jesus derides the religious Rulers, he says, you search and investigate and pore over the scriptures diligently because you suppose and trust that you have eternal life through them. And Jesus was referring to the law. But notice what he says next. But these very scriptures testify about me, Jesus you're, you're so engrossed in, in the minutia, the every jot and tittle of the, of the law and the scriptures, but the way of salvation, you have missed it by a country mile. It's me. 
The sufficiency of Scripture provides for us the full revelation of God, not only in the world, but also out of the Word itself. Fourthly, another characteristic is the revelation of Scripture. And I quote from Regions Beyond Values, and it says, Christianity is a faith that relies on divine revelation rather than human speculation. I have another friend who's, how can I put it? He likes to make his voice heard. And he's often very quick to say, the Bible says, and when he's quoted what he he thinks the Bible says, I think to myself, mate, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. It's got nothing to do with human speculation. It's got everything to do with divine revelation. So no amount of, you know, discussion and and investigation can fill the place of Scripture. Scripture alone brings revelation. Scripture alone is that mighty anchor that keeps us on course. The day we decide to cut the rope of dependence on Scriptures, we're going to be tossed around by the waves of competing voices coming at us with their philosophies. God help us to stay in his word. Let me make this statement. The scriptures are complete as they stand. Nothing more needs to be added to the scriptures. They are complete in their revelation. And I must fly now. The power of the scripture is the next characteristic. If we are not faithful to God's word, we will shrivel and we will die. If you study the advance of the church down through time, every revival, you'll always find that at the heart of it was the word of God, was a return to the word of God. And I have scriptures on on the screen there for you to note down and go and read those and you'll find that it was the word of God being brought to the people that changed the situation that affected not just Israel but places like Samaria and places in the, the, the beyond Samaria uh, that, that changed people's thinking and brought them into the kingdom. The power that promotes and sustains God's work is God's word. Do you get that? Not charisma. No other ingenious method. The word of God sustains the momentum of God's kingdom moving forward. I love what the Apostle Paul, who's a man who's in prison now, he's, he's, he's has no liberty to leave or do what he was doing. He's now chained, he's in prison. He writes to to Timothy in the second letter, chapter 2 and verse 9, and he says this, I am suffering even to the point of being chained as if I were a criminal. And then he says this, but God's word is not chained. Hallelujah. So, The word of God is that which is the power for all that we're believing to see. And I draw to a close by living the characteristic of living with the scriptures. Let me just, let me take it right from regions beyond values. Living with the scriptures means the Bible is not just a helpful tool but it is at the very center of what it means to be faithful and be a radical follower of Jesus. 
Living with the Scriptures means that every week as we gather as local churches in regions beyond, the Bible will be explained, it will be taught, and it will be preached. Living with the Scriptures means that all of what is church practice can only be derived from Scripture. And if we do have to change, we line up with what the Scriptures say. Living in the, with the Scriptures means that prophecy, all of prophecy, is to be weighed against the truth of God's Word. Oh, I'd love to go down a rabbit trail there. We've got to measure it with the, with the clearly defined measurement of, of the truth of the Lord. Living with Scripture means that our morality must be based on what this book teaches. We can't claim modern society and what, you know, what has happened today in the enlightened thinking that mankind now, quote-unquote, has. That enlightened thinking will destroy us. Like it destroyed Rome. There's one yardstick only, the Word of God. And it also means that our local churches are committed to raising up people who can rightly handle the Word of Truth. I read quite a astounding statement by uh, Ken Ham, who is the president and CEO of Answers in Genesis. And uh, he refers to that uh, generation cycle that is now known as the millennials. And uh, I'm... What characterizes the, the millennials... Uh, is that they have a massive use of and familiarity with the media and communication and digital technologies. I'm probably the guy in the blue suit. Don't know what's happening. But they are also generally marked by having a very liberal approach to politics and economics. And this is what Ham says. He says, we are losing two-thirds of the millennials from our churches, and those who do remain in our churches are very secularized in their thinking. That's just another way of saying they have chosen measuring devices by which to measure their own lives, etc., that are not based on the Word of God. We're all for progress. We're all for advance. We want that. But if we leave God's word out as a yardstick, as a measuring tool, we get to the place where liberality takes over from the very clear delineations found in God's word. My final slide goes back to what we referred to earlier on when Satan spoke to Adam and Eve and he, he cast that doubt on the word of God to Adam and Eve. He asked the question, did God really say? And when they de deviated away from what God had said, the repercussions of it are felt right down to this very day. It's a bad question. Did God really say? When we receive the word of God, it's up to us to interpret and then to obey. They did not do that. And it ended up in one almighty mess. Saints, 
The word reformation comes from the Latin word reformare, which means to shape again. And my exhortation to you today is allow the word of God to shape you again. If there's been any deviation away from its clearly spoken truth, allow it to shape you again. I must stop. Let's stand. Some weeks ago, I, um, I shared with you my story briefly of um, I'd faced a little scare and as I, as I was faced with that situation, I suddenly realized how vulnerable I had become. I hadn't departed from the word. I hadn't stopped coming to church. I hadn't stopped being a witness for the Lord when, when I was able to. But I realized I'd moved away from the basics. I'd become so jolly clever that I'd shot myself in the foot. And I'm on a, on a quest to get back to the basics. Things that I knew were precious, but somehow, it's all right, I believe in it, and I left it there instead of bringing it and embedding it in my heart again. And that is my quest. And getting back to the basics simply means this, allowing the word and its truths to shape me again. It's affected my speech, what I say, how I say it. It's affected the way I pray. I want to get back to the centrality of God's word. So if I become a bit funny over the next however long I'm still around, please measure me and judge me by God's word because that has become my treasure. God's ways as per God's word. Now, Father, I commit these precious folk to you. I thank you for them. I know you have a plan and a purpose for their lives. I know, Father, that you watch over them with a love that cannot be described. I know you do. But together with them, I bring us before you and I say, here we are, Lord. May your word rule and reign in us and through us. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.